This is the Ball Talk Pod. Evan Kinsey. Starting Good afternoon, and thanks for tuning in to the Ball Talk Pod with Evan Kinser. On today's show, Scott Agnes from Vigilant Sports and the Pacers Podcast joined the show. Scott, thanks for coming on. Hey, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Scott, tell my viewers about Vigilant Sports and also your podcast. Yeah, it's something I started years ago. We're approaching the 10-year mark, actually, this next year, which is pretty cool. And I have a lot of big things in the work, in fact, around that and other opportunities here. Um, But it basically turned out a situation where I was everywhere here as it related to Indiana sports. So whether it was a, certainly a Pacer game, I was a ball boy at the time, something I did for seven, eight years. Um, I went to Indiana University, so I was at every big event there. Colts, whatever it was, I was there. So I go, you know what, I need to find some way to document it, share it, and share my passion for journalism. And so I did all that. Then podcast became the next big thing. So I've got into that a little bit. And we're still all trying to figure out how to monetize the whole thing. But it's I love it. It's it's a great way, and it's a different way to get other people to open up and another way to grow relationships. It's a different but fun kind of form. I'm sure you're realizing some of that as well. That's why I got into podcasting, to make relationships. So it really works great. Um, I've been a fan of your work for a while, so having you on the show really means a lot to me. Uh, I remember when I was just starting out, reaching out to you about eight months ago, asking for advice on podcasting, and your response to just do you and work with what you have was instrumental in building my podcast. So I sincerely thank you for helping me out uh, back when I didn't know much about podcasting at all. So uh, thank you for that. Hey, you're welcome, and I'm proud of you, Evan, too. The hardest part, oftentimes, like we all had in a term paper or something, is just getting started. You're going you're gonna to forget to hit record, or the audio's not going to sound right. Part of the issue is learning through experience and whatever you're doing. So I'm glad you got started and are, and are really taking full advantage of technology today. How can my viewers uh, reach Vigilant Sports and also your podcasts? Uh, easiest thing for the website, VigilantSports.com. Uh, on the podcast, just go to Apple Podcasts and search Pacers, and I'm probably your first result on there. That's probably the easiest way. And then I'm big on social media, Twitter mostly, uh, and it's just my name. I keep it easy and on brand, right, at Scott Agnes. Okay, sweet. Uh, so our first topic is Indiana Pacers season. I remember right before the preseason started, a lot of people were counting them out, including myself. There were questions about coaching, how Victor Oladipo would do this year, and also how the team would react after treading away their former face of the franchise, Paul George. Was their success this season a surprise to you, or did you think they had this in them? I think this was a huge surprise to every single person I know. The only thing that changed, and in my opinion included, was once training camp happened September 25th. Once media day hit and then training camp, then we began to find tune our opinions a little bit after seeing the guys interact with one another, seeing how how they talked. And it wasn't just 
the usual talk that you'll often hear from guys or teams at the start of a season. Like, no one goes into a season saying, this isn't going to be much fun. I don't really like these guys. I already got my vacation actually planned. Hopefully I'm not an all-star. I don't want to do that either. Let's just get through this. And no one says that, right? But these guys had a different confidence about them and how they spoke, not just about the team, but their individual relationships. The biggest thing I'll tell you, Evan, the big surprise, more than anything, was the chemistry and how these players came together as a unit. There were just six players back from last year's roster. So it was a complete makeover, almost to the extent we saw with Boston, which I think brought all but four um, new players in. That was the biggest surprise more than anything. And a lot of, and I know a couple of the Pacers, uh, players are brought back from last year. Uh, Joe Young and Al Jefferson didn't play a ton. Uh, so, right. and, and if you want to get deeper in the weeds, Lance Stevenson, while, yes, he had a previous stint with this franchise, he was just there for the final six regular season games in the postseason. So there wasn't enough time for him. I'm not even sure he was here a month, including the postseason. So he really wasn't part of that team either. Yeah, um, a lot of it, I think, was a team working with what they had and guys stepping up every night. Uh, I met you at the Pacers uh, game three against the Cavs. When I was there, uh, I remember that Oladipo didn't have the best game, but they were able to stay in it and win the game because a player, Boyan Bogdanovich, played solid defense on LeBron and also hit shot after shot in route to 30 points. Uh, I think that performance really summed up how the Pacers played this year. Uh, everyone bought in and made winning plays, so that's really why I think they uh, – had great success this year. Yeah, and buying in is so critical. And I talked about you buying into your podcast. You talked to these players about buying into this group, this season, those sorts of things. And that it's something that always is going to take some time. It was just remarkable how quickly um, they came together and how much they enjoyed that process. I think with anything, too, you got to enjoy the process. And this group did. They weren't looking far ahead to a conference finals appearance or anything like that. They looked forward to every single day of practice at their new facility. Really, if teams buy in on uh, the defensive side of the floor, uh, they can do great things. Uh, I'm a Laker fan. Sorry about that for uh, Patriots fans. But um, I really want the Lakers transformed this year because they gave it their all on defense and they made it. Um, a key of emphasis. That's what the Pacers did. Um, Demonis Sabonis was really good uh, blocking shots and playing good in defense. And I don't think he's even cracked cracked open the seal of how good he could be at this point. But so much of what he is doing is just raw skill and smarts. I love his footwork, but so much more can be added to his game. And as you said, yeah, I think he just turned 22 a couple weeks ago. The, yeah, he wouldn't have been a, just a starter. I know people thought of him as a placehold starter in OKC, but he wouldn't have started as a rookie unless they saw some big stuff in him. So that's uh, – I think, like you said, he's going to have a great career. I, I like that um, his dad can give him a lot of um, input too because he played uh, mostly overseas, but he played in the league for a few years. He's also considered one of the greatest all time, uh, not in the NBA, but if people say if – he came over earlier. He'd be one of the greatest players of all time. Oh, Arvidas, his father, is outstanding. I think he's – I forget his official title, but he's still uh, big overseas. I think he's home in Lithuania 
if I remember correctly. Yeah, and what's interesting about all that is he loved the early Pacer games because I think they're seven hours ahead of time. So he would have to be up at about two in the morning for tip-off with the Pacers. And so that was a big challenge. But, yeah, he's overseas, and I believe the president of their professional basketball team over there. Mm. But, like, all these guys buying in defensively. Victor Oladipo using his length. I don't remember. He was pretty good. I think he was pretty good defensively in college. Um, but really buying into that, all the players. Lance Stevenson loves defense. I don't know if he loves defense or he loves just harassing LeBron. I think he just he's just a competitor. Yeah. He doesn't focus necessarily on defense, but what he loves is winning his matchup, is getting the ball back and getting fired up from a defensive stop or from a rebound. Yeah, and we've seen great defense from Victor. I mean, he was a defensive player of the year, his final year in college, Big Ten defensive player of the year. So that was not unusual for Vic, but I also think what was different that we saw from him is how they used him defensively, more like LeBron where he didn't necessarily guard the best player. Like, think about the postseason. Boyan guarded LeBron the majority of the time, and if not him, it was more so Thad. And part of that's because you have a size mismatch, but also it allows Oladipo to take advantage of other opportunities as well. But he was great defensively. So speaking of the Pacers-Cavs series, the Pacers eventually wound up losing the series 4-3 to in an epic game seven where they only lost by four points. A lot of people expected this to be a cakewalk for LeBron and the Cavs. But the Pacers kept the gas going and pushed the Cavs to the brink of elimination. What do you think about the series, and what really stood out to you mostly? I thought it was a fantastic series as far as the competitiveness. It's the most competitive games and series that we've had this entire postseason, Evan. That's been the challenge um, for those even even the diehards like myself and probably you is these games haven't been competitive, although we've seen greatness from guys like Steph Curry in the second half recently and and other games. um, Certainly, we haven't seen tight, close finishes like we saw in this series. What stuck out, quite frankly, to me was LeBron's dominance because without LeBron, if you remove him from that team or replace him with a another all-star, they don't get past the Pacers. It was LeBron needing a couple game winners, him needing to carry them back from a 20-point deficit, those sorts of things um, where they had to win three of the final four to take the series after the Pacers. They won two of the first three. Without him and getting a little support from the others, as I like to call them, they had no chance. And what's also interesting is thus far, the Pacers have played them the closest. Yeah, I think that a lot of it comes with they know um, what LeBron likes to do. They played him in the conference finals. Like, I don't know, in, when he was in Miami, they played him like three straight years in the conference finals. Lance- LeBron has ended the Pacers season, Evan, five of the last seven years. Wow. <laughs> the Pacers, like most teams in the East, have never beaten LeBron in the postseason. This is the closest they've been, probably. I, I know they went to a few game sixes uh, with uh, the Roy Hibbert and David West, Paul George teams, but they really, uh, they really impressed me with their composure this year. Last year, yeah. the Paul George led Pacers were swept by the Cavs, but this year uh, they were able to win a few. Games. 
Though even then last year, Evan, you had those games decided by an average of four points. So while it is factually correct they were a sweep, those games were far closer than a sweep suggests. Because with a more polished team, with a more together team, with a, a team that knows how to finish down the stretch, that was the biggest issue for them last year. And I'm talking to, I guess, the 2016-17 season. That group was horrible at giving up leads. And that's what haunted them both in the postseason and regular season. I just thought of this. I think it's pretty safe to say they could they would have beat the Raptors, I think, in the first round had it been that matchup. Ooh, I don't think so. The Raptors have the Raptors kind of have the Pacers number for the last few years. It's been incredible to watch that. I, I don't think that would have been the case at all. Mm. I was well, I was looking for tickets to come to the uh, Cavs Pacers series. And I was looking, I was really hoping the Cavs would win a few games so I could see. No, it was the Sixers they wanted to win a few games so they could lock up the three. Because I wanted to see LeBron. What do you think about um, a potential Sixers and Pacers series in a few years? I think it'd be it'd be a ton of fun. It'd be contrast a little bit of what they're trying to do. Although I will say, you got Embiid and Sabonis, or Embiid and Miles Turner. That would be fun. Certainly, Embiid at this point I think would have the upper hand in that. Though they, the Pacers can play defensively much different with that center spot. With with Miles, he's he likes to stay and he should stay, hover right around the rim and be a rim protector. Um, whereas Sabonis can, is a little more agile and will go along the perimeter to defend. Simmons is a, is that big type of point guard. I think that would cause some issues a little bit for the Pacers, but they they would figure it out. I think they're both teams are really one big piece away. I think from being serious contenders in the Eastern Conference as they currently stand. Speaking about being one piece away, there have been discussions about whether the Pacers should run it back and see if this year wasn't just a fluke or if they should go big game fishing and sign some firepower to make a duo with Victor Oladipo. They have some cap space, the 23rd pick in the draft, and seem like an intriguing option for some free agents. How do you expect the Pacers to go about their free agency and also the draft? Uh, well, Pacers have options with the draft. I don't at twenty third and fiftieth. There's nothing too exciting for you. And typically, with the twenty third pick, you're not looking at a rotational guy right away, and certainly not a starter. There's a slight chance, right, that somebody you love and are enamored with might drop to you. But typically. You're building for two, three years down the road, and that was certainly what they did last year during the draft when they drafted a 18, 19, and 20-year-old. But this was before we knew how well they would gel together and even before they traded Paul George away, ultimately. Um, they were building for three, four years down the road, and I think they should stay that way as far as their mindset. With that said, I think, for one, you all you absolutely run it back. Um because this was a special group and a special unit, and there's nothing cost prohibitive about all of this. For one, I think the Pacers offseason starts with Nate McMillan. I think they needed to give him a I think it'd probably be wise to give him a contract extension so he's not a lame duck coach going into the final year of a three-year contract he signed. Secondly, they need, they'll need word from Thaddeus Young about what he intends to do. He has a player option worth nearly $14 million, and with the current landscape that I'm sure you've probably gotten into with your listeners, there's not a lot of money out there. There's not a lot of bidders for even great players. Um, 
just because of the salary cap problems that extend all the way back to 2016, where average players got money of 13, 14, 15 million per year. So I would expect Thad to either pick up his player option to exercise that or to try to negotiate with the Pacers for, say, a two- or three-year deal that guarantees him more money now into his 30s. But otherwise... I think you keep basically everyone that was on the roster. Maybe you make some alterations to the end of the lineup. Glenn Robinson, the third, you could probably bring him back pretty cheap. Um, they need to decide on Joe Young, whether they think he's a reasonable third or at least, or maybe even second point guard in this league. If not, maybe you look at another guy. Um, and I would expect maybe they'd try to renegotiate Al Jefferson to, um, something much cheaper than his $10 million per number. That's a non-guaranteed number. Maybe they can get him to reduce that because his, his veteran experience, Evan, was incredibly valuable and instrumental to the success the team had both in the locker room and that extended onto the court. Dad Young, very quiet, but when he speaks up, everyone listens. And with Al Jefferson, he understood and knew his role. He was appreciative every single day of just still being in the league and being able to contribute to a fun, good group. I think you could work something out with him. I loved Al Jefferson when he was with the Hornets. He was one of my favorite players. I just love watching Al Jefferson. Uh, but the Pacers, they do have a lot of flexibility. Like you said, Thaddeus Young, free agent. Um, does he have a player option? That's a player option, so the Pacers have no influence on in that okay. necessarily. All the rest are totally up to them. Boyan, Darren both have non-guaranteed deals. Al Jefferson the same way. And then a team option for Lance Stevenson. Yeah, I was going to say, um, I was going to ask you about Bogdanovich. I thought that was uh, non-guaranteed. Uh, but I think what they should do, they should attempt to re-sign Bogdanovich, who had a heck of a regular season and postseason, averaged 14 points a game in the regular season, and then had that big 30-point game in Game 3. But here's my surprise pick. I think with their available cap space, they will attempt to sign Isaiah Thomas. I, I was thinking about it earlier. Hmm. Know if, okay. I don't know if they like that because of defensively, but I think they'll go, uh, try and sign him. Uh, he is, There's not a lot of teams that make sense for Isaiah, but I think the Pacers are one of them. Um, is Darren Collison a free agent? Darren and Boyan have the same situation. They're under contract, but it's non-guaranteed. To explain that simply is if the Pacers don't waive them by the end of June, I believe it is, then they're guaranteed that money. So they are under contract for next year unless the Pacers decide otherwise. Okay. So I don't really – and, and I have it in front of me now, by the way. Boyan, by June 29th, is when his becomes guaranteed, and Collison on July 1. So the Pacers will have had the draft and will be inter- and will have to make a decision by the start of free agency. Okay, so they, they won't be able to do that. They probably won't sign Isaiah then. But thinking about it... Not necessarily. Who's to say Isaiah is not going to have a terrible market and has to take a prove-it type deal. And I think that's, Evan, that's one of the things that stuck out to me about this Pacers team is I thought the entire roster essentially was prove-it guys who needed prove-it type seasons and everyone delivered. Isaiah, I think, he reminds me of Rodney Stuckey to an extent of um, needing to repair his image and his game after health issues, come here on a one-year deal, and then go from there. Yeah, uh, but I don't, I don't know about Isaiah because – 
I'm a, a like I said, a huge Laker fan. I watch all his Laker games, and he uh, publicly said he is not going to be a uh, bench player next year. So the, I think that's a concern. I only said that Isaiah to the Pacers because I thought that Carlson was a, a free agent. I didn't know he was a non-guaranteed next year. So, but. I don't know. Doesn't mean you couldn't move him if you really liked Isaiah, your starting point guard. But remember, Darren nearly had to join the 50-40-90 club, had his best career season. One guy could argue that why wouldn't you bring a guy like that back? The other guy would uh, might argue sell high with a guy like Collison. Yeah. Um, but with Isaiah, I believe the surgery he just had will benefit him greatly, and he can get back to the old Isaiah that we all remember. I think the Pacers would be wise to consider a one-plus-one private deal with Isaiah, like you said. Um, I think it could be low-risk, high-reward, and help them win a few more ball games. There is the um, issue of defense with him, but I think his shot-making uh, will benefit. And also, the Pacers are really good um, team defensively because they got two guys that can block shots in the paint, Miles Turner and Sabonis. So, uh, they can pass him. He can, uh, they have a two twin towers down there that can block shots. Yeah. It would, it would ultimately, I think, a lot of it come into the play is how, how willing would he be to be on the bench and at what number, um, too, because you're not going to overpay for a guy like him. The Pacers' greatest needs are not point guard. Corey Joseph, much like I explained with Thad Young, um, had a player option and we had a decision where Corey already had to decide and he exercises player options. So he's back. And if you brought back Collison, you already have your two starting or your two point guards right there. What the Pacers need is that stretch four or a really, and they also need a guy that it's a two way player on the wing spot that they, that was Paul George that they hoped Glenn Robinson, the third could become. Okay. So I got two options for you now. So, in my mock draft, I have them selecting Cincinnati guard Jacob Evans. He plays the three and four. The Pacers like defense, and at 6'6", he averaged a block per game. Uh, something, someone that, um, that can block like that with that size is uh, very valuable. He also shot 37% from three on four and a half attempts per game. Uh, and they won a lot of ball games with Cincinnati, so I think that's a player that could contribute immediately. And when you said stretch four, I like UCLA a lot too. So maybe TJ Leaf comes in and surprises them, and he could be that player for them. I think he could. Talking about TJ, he could be a player right away offensively. He's just so frail. He's he's so thin and weak defensively right now that I think he's another two years away. However, that said, I think he's going to be a good NBA player. You just need to give him a couple more years. As far as the first guy, I, uh, for one, I, I don't. I focus so much on the NBA. I don't have a great grasp. A lot of these college guys, even though I did just get back from the NBA draft combine in Chicago, which was a great time. I just don't see, unless it's a breakout type guy that's ready to do that. I don't see someone from the draft, especially at 23, really ready to slide in at that three spot, whether it's the starting role or the backup role um, at all. I think that's something they need to target in free agency. Okay, so I said I'm a big UCLA guy. I know the second draft pick they had of UCLA was Ekanic Bogu. What do you think mm-hmm. about him? I know you didn't see a lot of him this year, but uh, what do you think about his first year? 
So EK is very raw, and the Pacers knew that. He had a couple injuries. His knee scoped um, during his freshman campaign, his only season at UCLA. But they, they purely drafted him on potential and and his defense especially. Um, really good defensively already. Um, as just, At just 19, he'll turn 20, I think, right before the season. Um, but he, he can be a, a impact guy at the rim and also rebounding offensively. He's the opposite of TJ Leaf. Leaf is great offensively right now. EK, meanwhile, very weak offensively and would, would need to improve upon that greatly. I think he's probably two or three years away. He reminds me a lot of Tristan Thompson. Like, he likes to catch lobs, a rebound, and block shots. And he's, a, he's like 6'10", a little bit undersized. So that's uh, who I think he's a lot like. Yeah, I, I just don't think he's a guy that's going to enter the conversation of serious minutes, especially you're talking about a center spot where they already have depth with Miles Turner and Demonis Sabonis. Okay. Um, so last offseason, the Pacers traded all-star Paul George to the Oklahoma City Thunder in exchange for Victor Oladipo and Demonis Sabonis. The trade clearly worked out for the Pacers, but it left a lot of people surprised and they thought the Pacers could do better. What do you think about the trade at the time, and what do you think of it now? Well, here's my thoughts on all of that. For one, I, I gave Paul George credit. First of all, because he gave Pacers his indication. He said, look, I'm not going to re-sign with you guys. He actually has a player option that he negotiated in a five-year deal with the Pacers um, to take less money. He took less money to have this option, and so this is well within his means. And he's going to decide on Oklahoma City. All indications, I think, right, are that he's going to leave and head back home to Los Angeles. But I, I think you should appreciate Paul George, Pacer fans should, for not leaving an empty nest, for not just getting up and leaving. He told the Pacers that he would not re-sign, so that he would suggest for them to trade him. The issue here was we're getting out that he wants to end up in the Lakers, which really shrinks his trade value when you try to make deals. If everybody knows that you want to leave after a year, that impacts what you're able to get back. And so Sam Presti, he made a couple of deals, right? He was able to get Paul and Carmelo without sending a draft pick away, which was impressive. Um, at the time, I, I liked the deal because I didn't think there was much else you could get. I know the Pacers were hopeful and really tried to get Kyrie Irving straight up one for one. And I think that would have been a huge upgrade for both teams. Paul had his health. Isaiah Thomas did not. I think what enamored Cleveland certainly with Boston was you had that that draft pick that came along with it. But I, and to stick on that, I don't think Cleveland should have made a deal in the first place. Make it work with Kyrie. But anyway, uh, at the time I liked the trade. It made sense. I wasn't in love with it. I didn't. I don't think anyone thought it would work out like it did. But you had two two lottery picks, the number two pick and a guy that was just 20 years old at the time. These guys needed love. They needed a support system and they needed a system where they could develop and grow. And the Pacers are known for that. They might have their fifth most, they surely will have their fifth most improved player winner here this year with Victor Oladipo. That's one thing they know and have mastered is how to make players better. Yeah. I don't know if they could have done a lot better because the rumors, like you said, were already out that he wanted to play for his hometown hometown team, the Lakers, which I really hope would happen. I'm hoping this happens so bad. Uh, so GMs were likely giving the Pacers low offers, but they needed to get something done quickly so they could get some value. 
Um, didn't want to wait till the trade deadline. Uh, I would have loved to hear some of the offers that they had for George. Um, just like to see, um, I wonder what the Lakers offered. I thought the Lakers would probably offer uh, D'Angelo, Russell, and Larry Nance Jr. I thought that was a solid trade that they could have done. But I'm going off the top of my head, but I, 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 if I remember right, wasn't the offer – I thought it was Julius Randle and the 27th pick, which was Kuzma, ultimately. And one more pick was maybe like 28. There was like two picks and Randle or D'Angelo or something to that extent, which I would say no to just like they did. That doesn't interest me at all. I don't want two late first-round picks. It was 28, Randle, and Clarkson. That's what it was. I, I remember that one. Uh, but they And they got rid of Clarkson with the Isaiah deal. So. Uh, and the other thing to keep in mind – Evan was how many times did we hear reports, right? Of course, the magic word reports out of Boston that they offered draft picks, two, three, four draft picks for Paul George. Yet yeah, that did not happen. The Pacers are not that stupid. If they were offered a deal like that, they would have accepted just like any other president or general manager would. Those were clearly put out with an agenda from the Celtics to push that because they were coming from reporters in Boston. So I don't think that was on the table. The other one that was talked about significantly was a, I believe it was a three-team deal with Cleveland and Denver that would bring back two Indy natives to the Pacers. Gary Harris, who just signed the same deal Victor had at $21 million over for four years, um, $21 million each, along with Trey Lyles, who uh, he, he, I think he has a bright future still, and he needs a place to grow and develop. But this trade... Uh, clearly a success now, but if Oladipo didn't transform his body over the offseason, it probably wouldn't have been as successful. So I give a lot of credit to Oladipo for that. And Julius, no, who was it? Uh, Brandon Ingram is working out with uh, Oladipo's trainer. So I think uh, Ingram's going to have a big jump next season like Oladipo did. Yeah, and, and I, I do want to give credit certainly to the player because without them, they're not going to make that effort. A lot, a lot of attention is, is uh, and praise is deservedly so given to the Pacers, but Victor worked miles and miles on doing this, and I, I actually do think regardless of where he was, he was going to have a great season. It was just how much opportunity would he get. If he remained in Oklahoma City and wasn't moved, there wouldn't be as greater uh, opportunity. His usage rate would have remained still pretty low. I think um, it, it almost nearly increased by 50% just coming to Indiana, and that was something President Kevin Pritchard uh, enticed him with and told him all about during their plane ride to Indy. And that was something Vic loved. The fact that after being traded for the second time in a year, the Pacers president of basketball operations, Kevin Pritchard, flew on a private jet, made that trip to Oklahoma City, or to, uh, I think it was Miami where he was actually at the time, and back with him. Didn't just send the jet, but wanted to be there with him. That was a first-class decision, I think, by Kevin. And showed a commitment level. And Oladipo wasn't a scrub last year also. Like, people were talking bad about the trade. He averaged 16 points a game with Westbrook shooting, like, uh, 30 shots a game. So that's very good. And they also had Canner on the team, who's a very good scorer. So Oladipo was good last season, too. So... Um, And keep in mind, his off-season program, Evan, was already in place. He was in Miami and those sorts of things with David Alexander, the famed trainer that works with Dwayne Wade and LeBron and others. 
Melvin Ingram in the NFL. He was already kickstarting that program, and I think he learned a ton from Russell Westbrook, how hard it works, and he's spoken about that. But I, I think he was fueled and motivated by getting traded yet again and by how much not only the team but the city embraced him. He needed that. He needed a warm hug after what he had been through over the last year. It was Oladipo that texted his trainer right after the loss, right? 16 minutes. Okay. Yep. That's a, I couldn't remember if that was Donovan Mitchell or Oladipo. So that shows his dedication level. Uh, I think he'll be even better next season. <laughs> to an extent. I kind of laughed about it because I don't – if he was asking me for advice, I'd say go do nothing for two weeks. You're better served taking the time off. And ultimately that is what he did. Um, Vic did. He celebrated his birthday with his twin. He went on a, a short vacation out of the country um, and stuff like that for two weeks before getting it started. I think that was – if anything, I, I laughed that that was shared by the trainer. It was kind of unnecessary. But it spoke, I thought, to the mindset of Vic and how he's not settling. And, and that was a common thing from Vic throughout the season, whether it was most of, most uh, or player of the month award from the NBA or being a first-time All-Star. He continuously spoke about how, yeah, that's great and all, but I want to be the best player I can be. I want to be the best player in the NBA. And so he's driven every single day to, to be better than he was the previous day. And that's another thing that not a, not a ton of players, I think, have and what separates him from a pack. So if you had to choose today, will the Pacers be better? Will they have been better this year or next year? Oh, I think next year. Yeah, absolutely. Another year together. Um, another year for Domanis Sabonis and some of the young guys to blossom and Vic to understand how to adapt to defenses. He had never faced defenses like he did starting in February once he was named an all-star where he was on the scouting reports and highlighted and circled and starred before he was just there as a starter and that was it. And so I think he's he's a, a avid viewer of film. I wrote a story about this on VigilantSports.com about how after games, the video coordinator comes in, grabs his 13-inch iPad and loads game that he just played on it, loads his highlights, his lowlights, um, clips, clips of his next two opponents. This guy consumes film like crazy, and I think that's going to really be advantageous for him, not just this summer, next season, but in years to come. Okay, one last topic I'd like to discuss with you. I, sure. I read an article a few weeks ago about Romeo Langford signing with Indiana that you wrote on your page, and it was talking about Eric Gordon and Victor Oladipo being thrilled seeing Langford committing to Indiana. What do you think about the Langford signing for IU and also the reports that came out by Rick Pitino about Adidas paying AIU? Uh, we'll start with the latter. That was kind of known in Indiana. That really is a non-story. It was kind of known by everyone in the basketball world that Mr. Langford to run a to run a new AAU team was getting paid by Adidas, which is legal. There is nothing wrong about it. It happens, and it just turns out that's one way to to make some money. Um, some people it's their full full time job. Some people are able to capitalize, and I actually have no problem with it. I'm one of those on board with individuals being able to profit from their likeness, their image, their signature. There's there's nothing wrong, in my opinion, of a star player. Let's take Romeo Langford, since you brought him up, going down to IU's bookstore and signing autographs. What, 
it's his likeness, it's his image. I have no problem with that. And that is, again, a whole different conversation. Um, but then to go back to the first point, yeah, Romeo committing to Indiana was huge. It's the highest-ranked recruit committed to a Big Ten team um, since Eric Gordon, I think, in 2007. He's the first Mr. Basketball to commit to Indiana since Cody Zeller, which was a half dozen years ago. He's obviously the best player in the state and a top-five player in the nation. And what this does more than just having him go to Bloomington and playing physically is it helps make it cool again to go to IU, especially for those in state where Indiana had lost their power, lost their stranglehold with the top players in the state. You had guys like Gary Harris. He went to Michigan State. Caleb Swanigan went to Purdue. Zach Irvin went to Michigan. You had so many great guys, and typically in years, decades past, the top player typically ended up in Bloomington to play for IU. So that's the bigger idea here. It's not as much, which we all know he's going to make a significant impact next season. It's more so the ripple effect that this could have for future classes. Archie Miller just completed his first year in Bloomington. Three of his guys are state statewide guys, including the number one guy. So that's the bigger point here. Of course, Victor wanted him. And of course, EJ, Eric Gordon, who's still playing actually with Houston and being a key contributor wanted this. That's where it can be huge is for future classes. Another guy that surprised me going out of state was Trey Lyles. I live in Kentucky, so Kentucky basketball is really big. And I was, I'm pretty sure Indiana was up there. Um, he, so. he committed to IU. Really? He committed to IU as a freshman and then backed out for whatever reason. Indiana fans would tell you something got involved a little slimy with John Calipari. That's just the affinity. I don't, I think uh, nobody has outside of Kentucky. For him, right? I don't know what it, it just maybe how he presents himself or whatever, and a couple of scandals, of course. Um, but yeah, Trey Lyles. I mean, he went to high school probably three miles from where I'm standing right now, and ultimately, him and James Blackman Jr. committed to IU, both backed out. James ultimately recommitted to IU, whereas Trey Lyles decided to go to Kentucky. Uh, Trey, he's in the pros, so you can't argue that necessarily it was a wrong decision. Yeah, I didn't know that about Trey Lyles. Uh, but, Scott, thanks again for coming on the show. I really enjoyed having you join us, and we'd love to have you back on sometime. Yeah, happy to. Thanks for having me on, Evan. Thanks again, Scott. This has been our interview with Scott Agnes on the Ball Talk Pod. Check out all of our episodes on our website, www.balltalkpod.com, iTunes, SoundCloud, and all of our social media outlets. Thank you.